Welcome to Creating a Buzz About Health podcast with Paula Carnell. This episode was sponsored by Unbelievable Health, the producers of these incredible health supplements using the products from the hive, the wonderful health benefits of Propolis. If you want to grab some of your own supplements for immunity, for energy, for anxiety and for sleep, then go along to unbelievablehealth.co.uk and put in the code PaulaBuzz25 for a 25% discount. Isn't that amazing? So that's Paula Buzz, all in capital letters, two Zs, 25. So P-A-U-L-A-B-U-Z-Z, 25 for a 25% discount. All the links are in the show notes. Thanks. Bye. Hello, everyone. So we are starting a new year and welcome to Creating a Buzz About Health podcast. And as we've ended one year and gone into another year, it's a time for reflection and really thinking about how do we want this year to go. Now, I've invited a lovely, lovely lady on today to join me who's become a dear friend. And I really respect her um, her work and it's very valuable work. And I have Gulam here, who is a grief expert. And she's not just a grief expert um with her work you know that's what she does but also through her experience Mm. and I'm a great believer that we become experts through our experience but before I introduce you to Gulam I just wanted to say a little bit about how this connects with bees because Mm. I am creating a buzz about health and something I often think about is do bees grieve and in a lot of conventional beekeeping practice we are taught to kill queen bees. So you'll be taught to to kill the queens before they emerge when the colony is rearing new queens. And you're also taught to kill a queen when you feel she's got too old and then you replace her with a new queen. And something I've observed is that when I have a hive that lose a queen naturally through whatever reason, the buzz is different. There's a kind of a moaning. It's a really low sort of... And that's how I can tell, more often than not, that something isn't right with the queen. And I've also likened the replacement of queens as like putting in a a stepmother. And as a stepmother, I know how challenging that is for both the mother and the children. Mm -hmm. And I do see the queen as the mother of this hive of 50,000 bees. And if the mother dies, surely the bees are going to be feeling something. Mm -hmm. And... How can we then, we guess, who the best next queen is going to be? So I really wanted to um, invite Gulam on because although she doesn't keep bees, I think we can learn a lot from humans and quite often we learn from our mistakes. Mm -hmm. So Gulam, welcome, welcome, welcome. And I would love you to share who you are, where you are and why you know what was your story of grief that led you to where you are now well first of all thank you so much Paula for inviting me as you know I'm a great fan of yours I know nothing about bees so I'm hoping that I'll go away with interesting insights as well but I know a lot about grief on a personal basis I had uh, multiple losses when I was growing up it started off with my mum who died when I was 13 and then um, not having realized that actually we're not taught anything. I'd never heard about grief, how it affects you, what's helpful, what's not helpful. So when you hear misinformation, you just assume it must be true. And I remember somebody trying to be helpful said to me, uh, I guess she was she was genuinely trying to be kind. She said, oh, you mustn't cry. You've got to be strong for your brothers and sisters. It was only later on I discovered that those are actually myths, you know, keep busy, keep strong, time's a healer. There's a lot of cliches that people come out with, but they're not actually helpful. So I remember thinking that she was trying to be helpful. She's a grown up. And so I spent years trying not to cry and trying to be strong for my brothers and sisters because I was the oldest girl. But that meant that my grief about losing my mum was just left was left unprocessed 
Because every time I wanted to cry, every time something triggered off those emotions, I tell myself, she only told me the ones. But because oh. I believed it, and then I started telling myself, I mustn't cry, I've got to be strong for my brothers and sisters. And actually, I got to age 30, um, and it was very puzzling for people because how I knew I was stuck was that somebody would start talking about something to do with parents or something. And I I remember I'd lost my mom and I'd get emotional. And then I'd be telling myself, mustn't cry, I've got to be strong. So there was that inner conflict going on. And they would say, oh, when did your mom die? And it would be in the beginning, it would be like, oh, last year or five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Because I was stuck, it was like I was stuck in that loop as not moving forward. So it was actually when my older brother died very suddenly from a massive heart attack. He was only a year and a half older than I was. And I used to believe that old people die and other people die. So all of a sudden, my map of the world was completely shattered because they weren't old and they weren't other. And suddenly I became very preoccupied. And, and actually that triggered off not just the new grief about losing my brother, but all the old unprocessed grief about having lost my mum. And then it also triggered off a whole questioning of what's life all about? You know, why are we here? Where are they now? What's going to happen to me? I became very afraid of, you know, because suddenly he was gone. He was only a year and a half older than me. So life became really uncertain and I became very fearful. And that actually kick-started me on a whole quest of asking those big questions and going on a search. Um, I got involved with many personal development things and courses, some of them uh, quite weird and wacky, but I, I was searching. <laughs> I look back and I think, did I really go on a... <laughs> but you name it, I tried it. But often what happened was I was left with more questions than answers and my recurring nightmare wasn't getting touched by all of it so I went on a whole spiritual journey exploring various faiths and, and so on and that's a whole different podcast <laughs> yeah. um, and eventually I did actually come to faith and and that was a, a real eye-opener of actually you know there is more to life than meets the eye and so that was helpful but it also helped me to because when I was stuck in my grief, I was stuck with the sadness and the regrets and, you know, sometimes feelings of anger of why things have gone the way they had. And I hadn't understood what causes you to get stuck because grief is a normal, natural part of life and most people will move through it. Yeah. Um, but depending on the circumstances of the losses, depending on how well-resourced you are, depending on how much other unresolved grief you're carrying that hasn't been dealt with, um, will then affect how you're impacted. And obviously I wasn't equipped. I didn't really have the right kind of support around me. I believed misinformation that I thought I was that's how I was supposed to do it. And so I found myself being stuck. When I did my training, it was really helpful to, oh, sorry, <laughs> my story. After my brother, about a year later, my younger sister, sadly, she had a delayed grief reaction. We thought out of all of us that she was doing the best, but actually on the surface, she's presenting fine, but underneath, that's not what was going on. And I think that's one of the problems of people thinking I've got to be strong and putting on a face and everybody thinks you're fine and inside you're falling apart. So she actually had a mental breakdown and um, and sadly she took her own life. Oh, gosh. I think that each bereavement has different lessons that we can learn from it. Um, but I think sometimes where suicide is involved, you get some extra complications because you start thinking about, well, what if I'd done this? What if I hadn't done that? What if I said this? What if I hadn't said that? And then a year later, um, my father, devastated by all these losses, um, he, he was on holiday in Pakistan. He got sick and died. And then I went on to have three miscarriages. 
So when you hear about all that, you can start thinking, oh, poor Gulam, is she okay? Well, I'm actually fine now. I mean, it was uh, many years of not being fine and searching for answers and so on. And then once I actually came through my journey, I thought, what if I'd had some better information? What if I'd known and understood what grief is, how you get stuck, what's helpful, what's not helpful? I could have saved myself years of pain. Mm. So it was on my heart for a long time um, to do something. But during the pandemic, it there were so many people um, being affected by grief. I thought, well, if not now, then. And I think for a lot of us, it was a time of reflection on what is my life about, you know, and, and life suddenly realizing how more, how mortal we are because we tend to live as if we will live forever. Mm. It's a very strange thing because we all know we're going to die, but it's somehow we have we live with the illusion that that's other people, not us. Yeah. yeah. So really... Um, I, I became aware that, you know, I had a sense of mission and purpose and I wasn't quite sure what it was. So I was very fortunate to meet somebody who said, let me do an exercise with you. He got me to imagine my very last breath on earth. And he said, in your imagination, just look around, what do you see? And I just saw lots and lots and lots of people I said to him, I just see lots and lots of people. He said, well, what are they doing? And in my imagination, I'm looking around, and what are they doing? I said, well, they seem to be smiling. And it's as if they've um, come to thank me for helping them with the pain of their grief. And they've come to celebrate my life and, and say, and I, I was crying. Oh. <laughs> it was so emotional. <laughs> but that kind of suddenly... Uh, and I and I shared that with him. He said, "Well, that's your purpose." He said, um, "You know, you've been through a lot of pain, and you want to turn that into purpose, so something good comes out of all that's happened." So I've, you know, done some extra training and so on, and uh, really do my best to raise people's awareness because mostly we, people don't like to talk about death or dying or grieving. And so in that vacuum, we pick up all kinds of myths and cliches and all sorts of things which don't help us and don't help anybody else. So that that's kind of where I'm at really looking for. And that's one of the reasons I was thrilled to be on your podcast so that in some small way I can help your listeners to have a better understanding about what grief is, how you get stuck and how to move forward. Wow. That's something that... I mean, that is an incredible story. And I remember when I first heard you talk about it, it, you know, each layer is is big. And you were carrying the grief of having lost your mother for yeah. so long. Did you get to a stage where even when you realised you had to process that grief, that you would be thinking, if I start crying, I'll never stop. So oh, I better yes. not start. Absolutely. And I think sometimes when clients come to me, they or, or when clients hear about what I do, they'll say, well, I'm coping. Uh, let's let sleeping dogs lie. And I remember that feeling. I remember thinking if I opened that Pandora's box, that somehow the emotions would just be completely overwhelming and, and consume me. But it sounds really strange, but it felt like it could consume the whole universe. Mm. Um, but I think the problem was that I didn't understand that I was stuck. I thought that's what happens to everybody. Mm. So when I came across people who seemed to have gone through a loss and they were getting on with their life and doing good things and not feeling stuck and not feeling overwhelmed and not crying, you know, sort of at the drop of a hat, I was just really puzzled. I was like, what are they doing? How are they coping that's different? And at that, one of the things I studied was NLP, and we were doing, during my master practitioner training, we had to choose a project that would benefit us. We had to find some people who were doing something well that we didn't know how to do, and then study them and model what do they think, what do they imagine, and all that sort of stuff. So I decided to pick people who had been through some 
quite serious grief events um, and uh, figure out how come they seem to have got their life back and be moving forward. It was very, very insightful um, as to kind of what was going on in their brain. And I could see that what was going on in my brain was very different. <laughs> so that was just one piece of a, 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 like a whole jigsaw puzzle that over time started to fall into place. And one of the things I learned on my training is that usually there are three, three, <laughs> three uh, main causes of unresolved grief where you've got stuck. So the first is where you wish things had been better or different or more. And um, I suppose an example of that was with my sister because I kept, Every time I thought of my sister, I went into this loop of remembering what had happened and then thinking, well, if only I, because I, I was not coping very well. And when she had her breakdown, I had handed in my notice. I had decided I was going to go traveling and take time out to make sense of life. But I'd never traveled to India before. I was planning to go and stay in an ashram. And then when she had her breakdown, I was like, oh, maybe I should cancel it. And she said, when she came back to herself, she said, no, 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 you really need this. You've handed in your notice. You've got your ticket. You should go. I'll be fine. The family are here. And then I thought, actually, maybe I should take her with me. But then I'd never been to India before. I didn't know what the healthcare system would be like. And I thought, what if it doesn't help her, but actually, you know, she has another breakdown. So I was very, very torn, but she persuaded me that, you know, you really need to take care of yourself and I'll be fine. So I went. But obviously, while I was away, she had another relapse and then she, um, you know, she had another go at taking her life. And this time she was successful. And so I was left with, well, what if I hadn't gone? You know, mm -hmm. what if I'd been here? What if I'd taken her with me? What if while I was away, I'd rank her more to check in on her? What if I'd written to her? All those sorts of things. So when somebody has is dealing with a loss, and it doesn't have to be a bereavement. We say that grief is any time there's a, the conflicted feelings you get when something comes to an end or there's a change in a, a significant change in a familiar pattern of behavior. That leaves you with those conflicted feelings. And if you don't have the awareness to recognize what that's about and deal with it and process it, if you just distract yourself by eating, drinking, shopping, keeping busy and all those sorts of things that people, you know, we can all get into. Um, oh, I lost my thread. Well, yeah, when you just lose that. Well, that's right. And it's grief is not only negative, it's cumulative. So um, the conflicted feelings. So, you know, there are over 40 life events which involve significant change or end of something which can produce feelings of loss and grief. And that came as a real shock to me because I thought it was just about people dying. And so sometimes because people are not aware of what they're carrying and because they don't know what it's like not to be carrying this stuff, they think that's just normal. Mm. And so when I say to them, well, you know, let's talk about this, they go, oh, well, I'm coping fine, you know, I don't want to stir up anything, so let's just let it be for now. And I say, well, that's fine, but are you aware of the cost, what it's costing you? It's a bit like you've got a backpack going through your life and everything you don't feel like dealing with or you don't know how to deal with or feels uncomfortable, you shove it in there, I'll deal with it later, I'll deal with it but it gets heavier and heavier and you function, but less and less well, everything becomes more and more of an effort. And then eventually, as happened to me on one of my trips to Birmingham, you put in one thing too far and the zip goes <laughs> completely non-functional. And sadly, that's too often the time that people land on my doorstep, you know, when they really gone that step too far and they're not functioning and it, it's affecting them physically it's affecting their sleep and it's disrupting their eating patterns they feel really lacking in motivation life seems pointless 
And although I love working with people who've gotten stuck, because I know what that feels like, and it's really such a privilege to see them actually, you know, turn their life around and they regain their peace and their productivity, their passion for life and their sense of purpose. I often think, wouldn't it be great to be able to work with people before they get to that stage? Wouldn't it be great to educate people um, so they can, you know, prevent, I believe prevention is far more effective than cure. But sadly, people don't think, people often think they don't need anybody until they need the cure. <laughs> it's so true. So you said there were three factors. So that first is that regret. So like you had with your sister, wishing you. Yes, done, yes. Wondering if you had done things differently. What yeah, so wishing things had been different. The second one, um, I suppose my um, miscarriages would be a good example. It's when because of the change or the end, there's a loss of hopes, dreams, and expectations that you had, and now they're no longer possible. Uh, so I've got, I mean, I, I really thank God for my husband and my two sons, but there are times when I feel outnumbered, you know, three men to one. And so when I found out I was pregnant with a, a little girl, I got very excited and I started fantasizing about all the girly things I mean I know it's a bit stereotype I had these fantasies about oh we can you know do things that the boys don't enjoy doing and and so I built up all this future in my head but obviously when I lost them and two of them were were girls um one of them was lost very early on so we don't know but that hope and dream then obviously came to an end and you know adjusting to the fact that now actually I have to accept that that hope and dream is not possible but how can I create a new hope and dream yeah. uh, <clears throat> uh, because as far if I keep hanging on to the regrets of what I didn't have and what I wanted it stops me from actually being in the present mm. I'm either worrying about the future or I'm regretting the past, but the only place we have power is in the present. Mm. So that's the second type of uh, situation where if you don't realize that you have hopes, dreams, and expectations that have come to an end. I had a client who had a very happy marriage. They'd been married for a very long time. They were looking forward to their retirement, and they had a hope and dream of setting up some kind of um housing for the homeless and you know sort of doing voluntary work and all those things and they're really looking forward to it and then he died <gasps> so she was left with well what is my life about now that was what we dreamed about and that was what we planned for and now he's not here and i remember uh, another lady um uh, who got widowed she'd had a very difficult first marriage so there's a lot of unresolved grief around that but then she'd met somebody she loved to pieces and they again you know approaching retirement they're going to do this and they're going to do that and then when he died she just felt like she'd lost her future mm. well it's gone I can't see the future now all I think about is you know what happened and, and being stuck there the third um main cause of unresolved grief is the good example would be my mum uh, so we've said that one is about wishing things had been better different or you'd done more of something the second one about uh, the loss of hopes dreams and expectations um, and then the third one is about undelivered communication of a significant emotional nature oh. So my mum, when she was leaving, they she just suddenly got it into her head that she wanted to go to uh, Pakistan, which is where she had come from, with my father. And she'd always she was a very devout Muslim. She wanted to go to Mecca and to visit her family. And I have no idea what it was, but she saw something on television which frightened her. Um, I think it was something about how if you died in the UK. They uh, cut you up and they put you in the freezer. Now, obviously, you have an autopsy if there are suspicious circumstances. And then, you know, the morgue. But somehow 
she got very fearful about dying in this country and she actually said, um, no, I'm going. And everybody said, how can you go? You've got six children. The youngest one's five. I'm going. We'll take the five-year-old with us. The others can look after themselves. My uncle is, just, you know, their uncle is just up the road. The neighbors will keep an eye. This was, <laughs> this was a long time ago before uh, safeguarding and <laughs> And mobile phones and <laughs> left on their own and mobile phones and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, anyway, whatever people said, she was like, she had an answer because she was just determined. She'd made her mind up and she was going to go. And we were secretly quite happy, actually, because we thought while they're away, we can have fun. You know, we won't have to yeah. worry about what we get up to. But just as she was about to leave, I suddenly had this urge to give her a hug and tell her that I loved her. Then I looked around all the people that come to see her off because in those days our streets were very friendly and everybody knew each other. They all come to wish her goodbye. And then this logical part of me, I can still hear that voice, popped up and said, oh, don't make a fuss. She'll be back in six weeks. And so I didn't. I didn't follow my heart. And I, and I suspect now that it was some kind of premonition or intuition and I ignored it because I didn't want to make a fuss, because all the, what will these people think? Um, and then she died while she was on holiday. So whenever I thought of my mum, I'd be stuck in a loop of going back to that scene, feeling that feeling, want to tell her I love her, listening to that voice and not doing it, and then having lots of regrets about it. So those are three common kind of um, ways that we can actually get stuck because grief is not natural and normal but if you've got unresolved issues unfinished business feelings of guilt feelings of regret feelings of unexpressed love or otherwise um you're just carrying that and then you get it's like you're watching a movie and you it gets frozen mm. and you keep playing playing that loop it reminds me of my son, actually. When he was young, he used to love Postman Pat. But there was one scene which was he used to find very scary. That's when his bicycle was out of control and he was hurtling down the mountain. Hill, probably. Mountain is a bit strong. Yes. Um, <laughs> he, used to, <laughs> he used to try to fast-forward that bit because it was scary, but he didn't understand the rewind and fast-forward. So he'd actually end up rewinding so he'd press the rewind button and then it would play all over again. And he'd get scared and he'd try to fast forward it, press the rewind button. And actually, unresolved grief is a bit like that. It's like you keep pressing the rewind button and then replaying the scene. And, and while you're stuck in that loop, it's like you're not connected to all the love and the good things and the good memories that you had in the past. And you can't imagine how moving forward would look like you're just stuck in that little loop so that that was um that was really really helpful and so my i'm really passionate now about two things really one is giving people a better understanding of the knowledge tools and processes that you need in order to move forward and not be stuck um but also those who are stuck teaching them how they can move forward without spending years in pain and therapy, mm. which is what I did. <laughs> oh. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. <laughs> oh, no, because it's it's dragging it out, isn't it? And I think, as you're, you're so right with prevention is better than cure, and I've heard that there's seven stages of grief, and I've had episodes of grief through my life, and, um, you know, divorce... I remember when I ended my first business and suddenly realizing who am I because I'd become that business. I was Paula yes. the gallery owner. I was posse. You know, that was me. Mm. And that took a, a while to process to think, who am I? And then falling ill and again, not even being able to be an active mom or a, or a wife, you know, yes. just, gosh, I need to have people in to take care of my kids for me and to take, take care of me. So who am I if I can't even do what society expects a wife and a mother to do? So you have those layers of grief. And, and I was blessed with being so ill that I could do nothing other than just lay in bed and think about it and contemplate it all. And it did help. And it, it made me realize how much time 
it takes to do this, especially if you've been blocked, if you've mm -hmm. not processed mm -hmm. it. So if, I mean, I've got so many questions uh, about, about your story. <laughs> I mean, particularly your father, because yeah. when he came back and had to tell you, because that was the days without mobile phones. So did you have yes. two police come to your door or did you have to wait till your father came back and then there's no mum? Yes. You know, did you then remember that you hadn't hugged her and said goodbye? Was that the first outpouring? And then a neighbour drags you off and says, don't cry, be brave, you know. Yeah. Well, look, one of the really difficult things actually was that the neighbours got to hear about my mum being sick and dying before we did. And um, we didn't understand why at the time, but my uncle, who was supposed to be looking after us, actually said he needed to go to Pakistan. And he made some excuse about you know something vague and we thought oh fair enough you know he needs to go but we had no idea it was because my mom was so sick they said you know he should come because she might not survive so when he came back uh, and people heard about it but they didn't feel they could tell us because neither my father nor my uncle was around but what they started doing was visiting us um, I mean this is the unkind version <laughs> <laughs> visiting us and they'd say oh how are you all getting on and so on and I would say oh yeah we're doing okay they'll be back soon and then they start crying and we oh. go no it's all right you know don't worry we're, we're managing fine they'll be back soon and they cry some more and so this just felt really odd um and 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 in a in a Inside, we could sense, well, something's not quite right. Uh, seems it's bizarre. But the, the unkind part of me felt like they were just being like voyeurs. And, um, yeah. and I, But I remember I felt so angry when I found out that they knew before we did. Um, mm. And on a kind day, I could kind of go, yeah, I understand, you know, whatever, whatever. But there was a part of me like, you know, we should have been told or we should have been given some warning like, oh, your mum's not very well or, you know, something to prepare us for when the uncle came back and then he had to sit us down and say, uh, and he started crying and we're like, what what happened? I said, you know, we said, oh, they'll be back soon. He said, no, actually, um, your mum, she was very sick and she died. And that's, I think, when I started to cry and then this neighbour piped up um, and said, oh, you mustn't cry, you've got to be strong for your brothers and sisters. So, as I said, I didn't understand that that was actually just a cliche that's not really helpful. Um, and then people would say things like, oh, well, you know, just keep busy, you know, time's a healer, you'll feel better in time. And I learned on my uh, training that actually time is not the healer, it's the actions that you take over time. So it's like if you have a flat tire, how long do you need to wait for it to reflate itself? When I first saw that illustration, I just burst out laughing. I thought, how ridiculous to think time is the healer. No, yeah. you have to recognize you've got a flat tire and you could limp along with a flat tire, but you have to be aware of the damage that's doing to the car. Yeah. And if you don't know how to change the flat tire, which is me, you need yeah. to know who to call up. <laughs> oh. Um, Yes. So with what you know now, and yes. if, say, you met a couple and the wife was dying and she'd left her six children in another country, how would you tell them to, to deal with it? How would you support, um, you know, the husband and the children? You know, if, if the, the mother was dying and she said, right, I'm dying, but I've left six kids and everyone's saying, don't worry, you won't die. You know, it's not really going to yes. happen. We have yes. a great load of that going on, don't we, when people really are dying and everyone yes. around them is in denial. But assuming she knew she was dying, what could anybody do around that family to really support with the grieving process? If I could only say one thing, I would say, listen, because I think the problem is we feel when we see somebody in pain, the first thing we think is we want to fix it. Hmm. And we think if only I if only I know the right thing to say or do somehow that will make them feel better. But the thing is, um, you mentioned the seven stages of grief earlier. Um, 
what I've learned through my training is actually there are many models which mean well, but often they're not as helpful as we think. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> because Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's original work was actually to do with people who studying people who were dying, not people who were grieving. And also, as soon as you say to people, oh, these are the seven stages of grief or the five stages of grief or whatever, instead of focusing on who they are, what that relationship was, how it's impacting them, and it's going to be unique to each person because your ability to cope and the relationship that you had, what they meant, the circumstances in which they died, make it really unique to you. So I, we noticed that people, you know, would come, clients would come sometimes and they go, um, I think I've done this stage and that stage, and um, but I'm not sure now what's the next stage for me. And I go, well, it doesn't really work that way because your journey is going to be unique. So the most important thing for you is to become self-aware of how things are impacting you what helps you because what helps me might be the completely the worst thing for you so sometimes what because we're so desperate to help we'll say well if i were you i would do x mm-hmm. well you're, you're not me and what worked for you is not necessarily it's like going to the doc it's like i've been to the doctor you go i've got a headache and i go oh well take these tablets you know the doctor gave them to me and they really helped well, I might have had a migraine and you might have <laughs> something completely different. <laughs> so the first piece of information I would say is that focus on being what we call a listening heart, that you're listening, but without looking for a solution or analyzing or judging or interrupting, that you're allowing the person's space to just be able to feel safe to say what they really want to say because sometimes if people aren't feeling safe they'll go oh I'm fine how are you doing oh yeah I'm fine they're crying their eyes out every night but on the front I'm fine Mm -hmm. so I think by just being willing to be there to listen and to be honest you know if you're really not sure what to say it's fine to say I just feel so out of my depth I really don't know what to say here please you know help me to know what what can I do that will support you because in our eagerness to help sometimes we'll jump in with all sorts of things oh just keep busy oh I booked you in for this class well maybe that's not and the whole thing about keep busy or all those things we we use to sidetrack ourselves for a bit they're very short-term relief based I know for me I hadn't realized for years um I had turned to comfort eating as a way of dealing with the pain of uh, the loss of my mum. But because it happened around the time that I started my periods and things, I assumed it was something to do with my hormones. And so it would be an endless cycle of, you know, I'd eat something, I'd feel different, so I assumed I felt better. But then that wears off and then you, you know, so for years I struggled with my weight going up and down like a yo-yo and developing all those sorts of comfort eating habits, not realizing why, what was driving that. Um, so when I learned that, I went, oh, I always thought it was the hormones. <laughs> but that's one of my coping mechanisms. <laughs> Gosh, so people can come to you and realize that it's unresolved grief that is affecting other aspects of their absolutely, health. Absolutely, absolutely. And I had one client who very sadly lost two children under very tragic circumstances, and she felt very full of regrets and, and you know, guilt, a lot of guilt, because she felt that she had some, because there's a genetic component to what happened, that she shouldn't have had them and she put them through it and that. And, you know, we had to help her to get a right understanding of actually if you hadn't had them, what would have been the downside of that? Mm-hmm. They wouldn't have had, you know, all the experiences and the love and the relationships and the grandchildren they've left you, you know. So if you could do it all over again, are you really saying you wouldn't have had them? And she said, Ah, oh, I didn't feel that. I was just focusing on I caused their pain. Um, so I think I think um I got sidetracked. <laughs> no, it's it's lovely sort of thinking about how 
how grief does impact people and how you can have these side effects yes yes of unresolved grief and yes. yeah i find it absolutely fascinating and you know i'm just loving what you're what you're sharing i'm fascinated with your story because you really have experienced an awful amount of grief and and different types of grief yes and i think that adds to your wisdom so when you look at i mean part of your healing was i i'm assuming that you should correct me if i'm wrong but it's that why me why me but then it's like oh i know why me because now i can help other people with all these different aspects so that is turning yes well i often say we can't change what happens but we can choose how we respond Mm. And one of the things I've realized that gets people stuck is um, what I call whether you've got the moving forward mindset or not. And um, uh, the first part of that, I call it my moving forward mindset basics. <laughs> and the B is really about understanding that you can come from a blame frame. Mm. All your energy goes into what happened, why did it happen, who was involved, whose fault was it, and whether you're blaming yourself or the hospital or the person. Or Now, all that energy might help you to understand what happened and why it happened who and who's to blame, but it doesn't actually move you forward. And what you really need to do is go, okay, I can't change what has happened let me focus on what are the outcomes I want to come out of this and what do I need to move forward? So it's all about the quality of the questions that you ask yourself. So if you ask yourself, um, you know, why did this have to happen to me? And why did that person, you know, why did I go off to India? Why didn't I, or whatever, all that it doesn't change anything. You just get stuck in that loop. Whereas if I go, okay, what have I learned from this? What can I learn for next time to avoid that situation? More importantly, what do I need in the way of support to help me to come to terms with this? Who is out there that, you know, has better information? Um, what steps can I take to kind of build myself up again? So the quality of the questions we ask ourselves will either keep us stuck in the blame frame or it will help us to move forward and bring good out of something that's been really bad. Mm. That's when I realized that I could spend, you know, the rest of my life focusing on all the sadness and the regrets and the guilt. Or I could go, okay, what can I, how can I use this to live, you know, to create a life that's well lived for, and that's a blessing to me and to others? Because Sadly, with this uh, with this lady, she had five children. She was so absorbed with the two that she'd lost, she turned to drink. I think that's the point I was making, that people turn to different things. Mm. And that self-soothing, sabotaging behavior can itself then cause all sorts of other problems because then you can develop an addiction or you can develop health problems because of comfort eating and, you, you know, or, or not eating and you, you know, got no energy. So we need to find coping mechanisms that are going to be helpful rather than actually add to the pain that we're already suffering. Mm. And perhaps if society has a greater understanding of what grief entails, yes, just like recovering from an illness, we don't embrace convalescence but yes. there is a period of time where people do need support because if you are going through a massive emotional crisis you you can't think about shopping or cooking a meal or going to work you know and we as society and communities we need to provide that kind of support for people and, and starting off with an understanding, as you say, of what grief is and how to help somebody who's going through it. I mean, one of my big concerns has really been the lack of awareness of many organizations and employers. Mm. Um, because without understanding what it is and, and, and how it impacts you and so on, they might just have either no policy, no action plan, nobody, no point point person so everything's very hit and miss 
if you happen to, um, if somebody who's very kind and caring happens to hear, then you might get a lot of care. And if it's somebody who really doesn't understand, is very uncomfortable with emotions, and they just kind of try avoiding you because they can't face it. Oh, you've had your day off or two days off mm -hmm. or whatever you're allowed. Uh, and this idea that you should leave your, it's a personal tragedy that you leave at home and you come to work and you act as if everything's fine. But that's not how it works. And sometimes because the right kind of knowledge, support and tools are not provided, uh, people can be off, off sick for weeks, sometimes months. And, um, and, and, and often what they offer is like talking therapies, you know, sometimes traditional grief counseling. I'm not saying that they're never right. For some things, it can be the right thing. But really, if you're dealing with unresolved grief, what you need is the right knowledge, tools and processes to help you to review the relationship, identify the unresolved pieces and then have tools for processing them. Mm. And sometimes, uh, as I said, people come to me and they go, I mean, that, that lady I mentioned, she said, well, I've went for three or four years of counselling, but it hasn't helped. And she said, what you've walked me through, I mean, it took her a long time to get the hang of things because she was like, well, I've tried this, I've tried this, nothing works, how's this going to work? But somebody recommended me, so she thought she'd give it a try. But once we reached the end of the course, she said, what you've actually walked me through has now just made such a difference and the best part was she was now able to focus on the three children that she still had yeah she was so preoccupied with feeling sad about the ones she'd lost she didn't have any capacity to love the ones that she had mm. so, yeah no, it's very important for people to kind of go i need to educate myself there's a lot of information out there and Certainly, you know, I've written blogs and different things people will be able to access through your show notes. Because in order to do better, you need to know better yeah. and, and, and learn to recognize when something is like going to be an unresolved issue. Because um, I often say I, we live next to a park and there's lots of trees and they often fought, the seeds fall into our garden. And when we first moved in, we didn't recognize what the seedlings looked like. So we'd kind of let them carry on. They'd get strong roots and then we'd be trying to chug them out. But after we started to recognize them, we'd just take a regular a regular little walk. And as we're going around, we go, oh, yeah, there's an ash tree starting to grow there. Oh, yeah, there's a hawthorn tree. Oh, yeah, there's a... And when they're little, they're so easy to deal with. You just pinch them out. It's not a problem. <laughs> if you We'll do it later. This is too hard now. This is too. It just gets. It doesn't go away with time. It just becomes no. harder to deal with. So, like you said, a heavier bag, and we tend to be very good at going to get a bigger bag or a stronger absolutely. bag. Absolutely, yeah, because we think that that's a sign of our capacity to cope. And the thing is, some people do have an immense capacity to cope. But all that means is. They've got a lot more to deal with when they finally go, okay, I can't do this anymore. I need to put this bag down and deal with it. Because um, in lots of ways, it sucks up your energy. I remember one client when we, when she realized that her backpack needed emptying. Um, after we'd finished the process, she kept, I don't know what's happened. I just got all this energy. I just want to go around singing all the time. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. And I think so good that you do you have a whole process yes. and again as society we have to understand it's not what's the one thing you do or the three things you do it's you have to work through that process because different people are going to be at different stages and what you think you're grieving might not be actually what you need to be dealing with mm. as we say that grief is not only negative it's cumulative Mm. so sometimes somebody might come with one thing but when we look at that do a life review and they go oh yeah and then this happened oh yeah I'd forgotten about that and then there was that and then they go oh no wonder I've been feeling so miserable I had mm. I, and I was wondering why I was this was like an overreaction to this one loss but I realize now actually it's just triggering all those other things that I hadn't dealt with so <laughs> really makes me think about bees when they're not allowed to resolve their own grief mm. and 
how what other behaviors you know like angry bees or um you know just mournful bees that mm. have lost their mojo have no longer a purpose to live and i had somebody come in only yesterday who's gone on um conventional beekeeping courses and they were told to expect 50 percent losses of their bees each winter and that is um that's such a huge amount to expect to lose imagine as a mum being told okay you've got three kids and half of them are going to die you know or four kids easy numbers <laughs> um, you know but just deal with it because that's normal but it isn't normal that's not dealing with your heart and mm. you know you have to sort of adjust to that so I have loved listening to you and I just love your wisdom and hearing the testimonials from people who've who've done your um your program. So if anybody listening wants to know more about your work, where is the best place to find you? Uh my website is probably a good place to start, www.handling-grief.com. But I will give you some links which you can put in the short show notes. Um Brilliant. Yeah, there are some free guides they can download. And if they think they might need help, but they're not sure, I have a quiz that they can take part part in. It tells you how well you're doing and whether you're doing fine, carry on with what you're doing, or whether you're there's moderate concern that you should explore or whether it's high concern and you should seek professional help. So I'll give you the link to that as well. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, I really look forward to that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Gulam. And I know that your story is going to inspire people and also prompt some deep thought about what we're carrying around in our bags. Yes. So, <laughs> thank you. So if you've enjoyed this episode, please share it, write a review, pass it on to someone who you think would benefit from listening to this. And um Thank you very much. So until next time, bye for now. Yeah, bye. And thanks again, Paula. Oh, it's a pleasure. I love that you've been listening to my podcast. Thank you so much. I am delighted to have the wonderful Beebrook helping me with editing and um, producing this podcast. So if you've enjoyed it, do share it around and connect with me on social media, Instagram, LinkedIn and my website. So thank you very much and bye for now. You have to become yourself. Join us Open next time on heart. Creating a Buzz Open About Health heart. podcast with Paula Carnell. Buzz you later.